Welcome to Family Law Talk. Family Law Talk. Presented by Kirk Stangy of Stangy Law Firm, PC. Stangy Law Firm is a multi-state family law firm. Now, here's your host, Kirk Stangy. Welcome to Family Law Talk. We have an interesting topic today. The topic is challenges in a high net worth divorce. And this is based on an article on our blog, wichitadivorceblog.com, dated December 8th, 2023. And the title of that article is Challenges in a High Asset Divorce. So as a follow-up to the episode today, go on over to wichitadivorceblog.com and read the article titled Challenges in a High Asset Divorce. But let's go ahead and jump into the topic today. Obviously, when individuals have lots of assets, uh, the assets can make the divorce a lot more complex from a financial standpoint in terms of trying to untangle these assets and and divide them in a fair and just uh, manner. Obviously, in any divorce, there can be uh, contentious relationships involved. There could be hard feelings. uh, There could be bitterness. There could be resentment, all these different things. But when you throw in lots of assets, it can make it a lot more complicated. So for anybody going through a high net worth divorce, it's definitely important to have an attorney Uh, who can walk you through the process to make it go uh, as smoothly as possible. All right, so in terms of getting into the specifics, one of the most important things that's really vital for individuals to do when going through a high asset divorce is to make sure uh, that everything is valued um, uh, thoroughly. So in lots of instances, there needs to be expert witnesses who value the assets, see what the assets are, ultimately or worth and that can be a big big deal whether it's a business whether it's a home uh, whether it's other like jewelry valuables uh, you name it having all these things valued can be a big big key and it really requires a use of professionals who can help with these these kinds of matters um, in terms of some specific challenges with high asset divorces that that are sort of perhaps atypical or not as common in other types of divorces. I mean, it can happen in other divorces, but when we're just sort of talking about high net worth divorce as a whole, I mean, some of the things that as an attorney often come to mind is the idea of hidden assets. You know, individuals, when they're going through a divorce, are supposed to delineate uh, the marital property and debt that they have and even the separate property and debt that they have, and they're supposed to do it on financial statements. Obviously, putting together financial statements can be arduous for anybody, but it can be particularly difficult for individuals that have lots of assets because they have a lot more stuff to list uh, than typical folks who don't have um, you know, the same amount of assets as a whole. But, but look, in, in high asset divorces, I would say you know, this isn't necessarily common. I mean, most folks don't do these things, uh, but some individuals can engage in uh, conduct that's sort of nefarious, sort of underhanded, if you will, and some of the things that it, it, you know that could be important to look at uh, in a case is you know in some cases individuals try to transfer assets to third parties, you know maybe it's a friend, family member, new significant other, and they try to get it out of the marital estate. Uh, sometimes individuals open new accounts, or sometimes they fail to disclose something. Now look, in some instances it could be inadvertent that they just omitted something. But if it's something very valuable and it's not listed, obviously that can be uh, a big, big red flag. 
Um, and so, you know, some of the things attorneys can do to try to uncover these things is do discovery, interrogatories, requests for productions. Sometimes the use of subpoenas to various third parties or third party entities can be important in trying to locate uh, hidden assets. Uh, sometimes taking depositions might be needed as well. So it might mean deposing a third party uh, and asking questions in terms of whether assets were transferred to them or not. And, and in some cases, these third parties actually need to be added in to the divorce itself as a third party, which is really pretty rare. Uh, but sometimes it can happen. Now, you know, in terms of what courts do, if they discover this, obviously it can hurt an, an individual's credibility with the court. Uh, sometimes it could result in the court uh, awarding attorney fees or giving uh, a, a party a higher portion of the marital estate. Um, so that could all definitely come into play. There could also be uh, various other penalties that could come into play as well in terms of hidden assets. But hidden assets can be, you know, something to keep in mind with a high asset divorce. Uh, publicity and media attention uh, can come into play. Obviously, if the individuals are, are well-known in the community, could be a business owner, could be a professional athlete, could be somebody else with a job that puts them in the public. Obviously, a high asset divorce can be a little bit more tumultuous in these types of circumstances, particularly if there's a concern that the media might be interested in the case and the media might want to know details and report on it. So sometimes trying to get these cases placed under seal can be important or have security tightened can be important, but obviously there's legalities involved with that. And so it's important to check with a lawyer who's licensed and competent to practice law in your jurisdiction to know whether uh, measures could be taken to try to, to keep the, the court file, maybe the whole thing or portions of it off limits. Um, for individuals with high assets, sometimes there can be prenuptial agreements or postnuptial agreements. I mean, not always, uh, but in some cases uh, that could come into the play. And so then you get into issues of, of enforceability. So was the prenup or the postnup done correctly? Were all the requirements uh, met? in order for uh, the prenup or postnup to be uh, enforced by the family court, or does one party have the right to challenge it as being invalid or unfair, uh, something in that regard. So certainly once you throw a prenup in, a lot of individuals think that's really gonna simplify the divorce, and it can, uh, but in some instances, one party might really try to challenge that prenup, and, and that could really uh, make the divorce more complex in a lot of respects. Uh, spousal support, sometimes called uh, alimony in some states still, can come into play when there's lots of assets. And you know this is particularly true where one individual is working, another individual isn't working. You know, if there's a big income disparity, obviously the laws in every state vary. You know, more and more states are starting to put into play formulas for the calculation of spousal support. And then in terms of the length that it's paid, uh, take Illinois as one example. But then, you know, if you go into Missouri, um, that's just not the case. It's much more discretionary. Um, and certainly it's a lot harder uh, for uh, uh, spousal support to be ordered for set time periods. Typically it's open-ended um, unless one party comes back and modifies it. Uh, but certainly parties oftentimes uh, are able to agree if they can to contractual spousal maintenance, which is sometimes called rehabilitative maintenance, where it's for a set time period. And certainly more and more states are putting limitations in terms of the time uh, that spousal support can be 
uh, awarded. In terms of some common questions individuals have if they're going through a high asset divorce, uh, let's let's address some of the most common ones. One of them are how are, how are assets split in a divorce? Well, look, um, most states are what are called equitable di- distribution states, which means that courts divide the marital property and debt in a just manner when considering all the factors. Um, so it's not like a lot of individuals think that it's just a straight 50-50. Courts have a lot of discretion to, to ultimately divide marital property and debt in an equitable manner. And so, again, this is why it's really vital to have an attorney who knows the ins and outs of family law because it's not a deal uh, where it's just going to be a, a straight 50-50 division. I mean, a court could divide it 55-45, 60-40. And, and look, I think most most judges start with the idea of 50-50, but again, it's not an automatic, all right? It's equitable division in most states. Um, what about fault? Does fault make a difference is a question that a lot of individuals have. And again, this is going to vary based on the state that you are in. Um, but, but typically, to get divorced, you don't have to, to show fault any longer. The fact that the marriage is irretrievably broken is enough to get divorced. So, I mean, before the advent of no-fault divorce, individuals had to prove fault uh, to get divorced. That is not the case uh, anymore, I, I mean, just about everywhere. Uh, but fault can come into play in some states based on the disposition of the case. So fault could still be a factor courts looked at in dividing marital property and debt. It ultimately, theoretically, could be a factor in terms of child custody, uh, perhaps if if it really impacted the best interest of the kids or something like that. Um, but again, you don't have to, to prove fault to get divorced, but in some states, fault uh, can make a difference. Uh, to, to break that down even further, uh, individuals get uh, at times concerned about adultery. Will adultery make a big difference? in terms of the disposition of the case itself. And again, it's kind of the same answer. You know, some states uh, allow the conduct of the parties during the marriage to be a factor in the disposition of the case itself. Uh, Take Missouri. Uh, Other states uh, don't allow it. Take Illinois as an example. And again, if you're not in Missouri or Illinois, speak with a lawyer who's licensed and competent to practice law in your jurisdiction. But, I mean, there could be variance. You know, having said that, you know, uh, every judge is different. Every circumstance is different. Uh, some judges put more weight on it than others. Uh, lots of judges are of the mindset that they just don't really get into adultery and marital misconduct. But look, in some instances where it's particularly egregious and, you know, if it impacts the kids, then it certainly can be a factor. And it's important to, you know, not think at the same time that it it just it doesn't matter because in some states, in some instances, it ultimately could have an impact. Um, in terms of how long does a divorce take, that's a question a lot of individuals have. And and look, the reality is, is this is going to vary. Uh, some cases could be done uh, really in, in a matter of a short period of time. Uh, some cases it could take many months. Some cases could take more than a year. So it can really vary. But one of the things you want to keep in mind is, you know, uh, the case has got to be filed. It's got to be served on the other party or they have to waive service. And then typically there's what's called a waiting period in each state where uh, the court won't grant a divorce until the waiting period is passed. And a lot of individuals say, well, why, why have a waiting period? And again, you can 
get into why state legislatures put waiting periods in, into effect. And no, waiting periods can vary very much by state, okay? Uh, the requirement can change. In Missouri, 30-day wait period. Uh, Kansas, 60-day wait period. Uh, different states have different uh, timelines. So it's important to know that. But I think from a big picture sense, the idea is this, is you want to, you know, courts uh, and legislatures want to make sure that people really want a divorce. You know, you wouldn't want it to be an instance where one week the parties want a divorce and, and then another week, you know, they make up and, and now they want to stay together. So the wait period, in, in a lot of respects, just makes sure uh, that parties are certain um, that they want a divorce, but then to get to get the divorce finalized, to get it signed by the judge, uh, there's really only a couple of ways to do this in, in most instances. And I guess kind of a third way, but very rare. You know, way one is the parties enter a comprehensive settlement on everything, right? So if it's a high asset divorce, all the property and debts divided, and then spousal maintenance is is agreed upon in whatever way. And if there's child custody, if there's kids then the custody agreement has to be in place and then child support uh, has to be considered and either it's ordered or it's not ordered and then attorney fees uh, you know both parties paying their own fees or is one party helping to pay uh, the fees of the other these kinds of things okay so but if parties are able to reach a comprehensive settlement um, then at the end of the day um, a court um, can if that paperwork submitted uh, and it's submitted with affidavits in a lot of jurisdictions or at a non-contested hearing you know most judges are happy to sign these if the agreement's not unconscionable and get the parties divorced if parties cannot agree then then there has to be a trial or a hearing obviously that can take a long time um, to have a case heard so that's when cases can take infinitely longer you know in some cases a party may default in other words not answer and then if the period for responding passes, then uh, oftentimes a party can move for default and then conclude the divorce. But that's very rare. Most individuals don't allow that to happen to them, and particularly people of high net worth, because people of high net worth oftentimes have the funds to hire an attorney and make sure that they are not in default. All right. So look, that is the topic today. Definitely a very interesting topic. Is a follow-up to the episode. Go on over to wichitadivorceblog.com and read the article titled Challenges in a High Asset Divorce as a follow-up. It'll definitely give you more information on this topic, but definitely an interesting topic. Hope you all found it informative. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode coming up on Family Law Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Family Law Talk with Kirk Stangy. Visit stangylawfirm.com for more about today's topic or to put Stangy Law Firm to work for your family today. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri or Illinois reviews or approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The information you obtained in this podcast is not, nor is it intended to be, legal advice. You should consult an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation. We invite you to contact us and welcome your calls, letters, and electronic mail. Contacting us does not create an attorney-client relationship. Please do not send any confidential information to us until such time as an attorney-client relationship has been established. Past results afford no guarantee of future results, and every case is different and must be judged on its own merits. Kirk Stangy is responsible for the content. Headquarters, Office 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450, Clayton, Missouri 63105. 
Kirk Stange is licensed in Missouri, Illinois, and Kansas. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.